to find the scripture. I think it was, uh, we used it last week as well. We're just going to use it again this morning. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17 and 18. Genesis 22, 17 and 18. The blood covenant. Hasn't it been awesome? I mean, it has just been like, it's been like someone bought you a beautiful brand new big house and you're just running through the rooms. Look at the closet space. Check out this kitchen. It's discovering the things that God has for us and knowing that you've got the keys. This is your place to live. Hallelujah. So in Genesis 22, what's happening is the Lord has been developing with Abraham the blood covenant that's going to bring Jesus Christ into the world. And he's been telling him, I've called you and your descendants are, are going to be more numerous than the stars that are in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And, um, and, and I am going to move in salvation, move in deliverance through your life and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God intends to, to bless and to deliver this cursed world. And so he's speaking to Abraham, and this is a little excerpt in verse 17 and 18. And he's laying out the terms of the covenant, prophetically forecasting what the blood covenant is going to do. Because he's drawing Abraham into agreement with himself, and then he's going to produce a new creation. So here we go. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand that are on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Your seed, referring to Jesus Christ, that one descendant of Abraham, generations later, that came down through Abraham's family, that was the seed that possessed the gate of his enemies. God said, I am going to come myself. The living God is going to come and take your place and become one among you. And I will rise up and do for you what you, mankind, are not able to do for yourself. I am going to defeat the enemy that holds you captive. Listen, the only way for us to understand the world around us or 6,000 years of human history and understanding why we seem to be in a perpetual cycle of failure and oppression Regardless of our advancements, intellectual or, or technological, regardless of all the lessons you would think after 6,000 years that we should learn to make ourselves a better race, we just keep repeating the same failures. We're stuck in the same pattern. The same miseries and the same oppressions that were there in those first years are still with us today and multiplying. And let's not... Let's not forget all the finger pointing and all the blaming. But where does the responsibility lie for the failures of mankind? We keep blaming one another and pointing at one another. But there's something wrong with the human race. And the only way to understand what is wrong with man is that after he broke his relationship with God, his authority was surrendered over 
to a murderer, Satan. And having captured man's dominion, Satan is now at work with God, excuse me, at war with God. <laughs> Satan is now at war with God, and the human race are his POWs. That's the only way to understand human history. That's the only way to look out on the world today is to know that we are prisoners of war in a conflict that the devil is waging against God, one that he's already lost and is about to be completely and totally defeated in. And so we have been taken captive, we being the human race. As I said, we are prisoners of this conflict and prisoners of war. But God chose to offer man a blood covenant, a contract that would bring God and man together and produce a new race of people that would overcome, one that would possess the gate of his enemies. The gate of any place is the entrance by which it operates. Whoever possesses the gates of the castle owns the castle. Whoever possesses the gates of the city or the nation owns that city and owns that nation. If you want to dominate any people, find out where the gate is and take control of it. Once you control it, you've got all you need to control everything that goes on inside that group or that nation or that family. So Jesus, as that man, as that seed, that new creation, Jesus rises victorious and overcomes Satan victoriously rising from the dead and grabbing the keys to the gates of death and hell and every oppression that enslaves people. And so Jesus rose up with those keys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So who owns the gates? Who owns the gates of oppression? Every oppression that you can think of. Someone has those keys. In his hand, can you say amen? amen? And then through his triumphant blood, the blood of his covenant, Jesus began a new race of people, a new race of God's children. He takes the old fallen race of Adam, the prisoners of war, Satan's captives, and he begins to call them out of captivity. And everyone that turns to him and receives him as Lord, the devil can't hold on to them any longer. He snatches them. It's a rescue. It's a prisoner of war rescue. Hallelujah. He not only rescues them out of captivity, but he makes them a new race. A people of God, a new children of God who overcome the devil and who rescue the captives that are left behind. So we who have been rescued by Jesus, we are now blood covenant freedom fighters. If you want to understand how God wants to use your life, you must first understand what you are. You are a blood covenant freedom fighter. You are a soldier, a special operator in this conflict of darkness and you thought you were here to be a janitor. You thought you were here to be an airline pilot. You thought your purpose was to be a mommy. You thought your purpose was to play football. You thought you were here to 
become prosperous or to have a peaceful life. And while maybe none of those things are bad, the fact is they're not what you are and they're not why you should be getting out of bed every morning. If you really want to walk in the power of God, if you want to see the world for what it really is, you need to begin by understanding what's going on in your own house, what's going on in your own family, what's going on in your closets. Why are you in the place that you're in in your life? You are in a conflict, but you need to wake up and realize you are a blood covenant freedom fighter. I want to talk uh, this morning about taking territory and defending it. The blood covenant exists because the world is at war. That's why I've shared everything I have up till this point. So you understand that the problem is that there is a conflict and people are fighting with one another, but they're not fighting the conflict that's really enslaving all of us. The war that we are in is a spiritual conflict. But God has made a blood covenant, one that will cause us to effectively operate on that battlefield. It's designed to be aggressive in a world of conflict. The blood covenant, everything I've been sharing with you over these weeks about the two becoming one, I know that the tendency is to see all of that as the way God wants to bless you and what he wants to do for you. And those things are true. God wants to bless us. But the ultimate design of the blood covenant is that it is a piece of military legislation, if you will. It is a contract of war. It is designed to be aggressive. The blood covenant really doesn't begin to kick into gear. You really don't see all the power of the blood covenant until you become a freedom fighter and live an aggressive life. Somebody say praise the Lord. So the greatest power of the blood covenant, you're not going to see it if you're living in a state of settlement or of retreat. If you're just wanting to get by and have a moderately peaceful life, you're living like a settler somewhere. The blood covenant is not working for you optimally, and it's not going to until you change from being a settler and become a pioneer again, until you realize that you're a freedom fighter. You cannot succeed to the extent that God wants you to succeed by being a passive Christian. And unfortunately, we have tried to pump Christians up with zeal and tell them, get excited about what Jesus has done for you. But let me tell you what really excites Christians is not just to know what Jesus has done for you, but know what he's called you to. If you really want your soul to be stirred up and excited, you need more than just zeal over Calvary. You need zeal that's based in you looking into the law of liberty, the word of God, and having an awakening and realizing why you're here and who you are. That you are a woman or a man of valor called to go directly at the oppressions of this life, uproot them and defeat them along with Jesus. Somebody say praise the Lord. That's when you see the blood covenant really operating is when you're in attack mode, not when you're in settling mode. The devil depends on you settling. 
The devil depends on you taking your eye off the ball and just thinking about, oh, I want to get through the week. Oh, we can just get enough money to take this vacation. Or if I could just get the kids to get along. Or, you know, and I'm not trivializing those things. But they can't become your life. It, you can't decide I'm going to be happy if things start going my way. If you're a mother or a father, you can't decide that your identity is wrapped up in how your family's going because you're going to live like a roller coaster for the next several years, maybe, maybe the rest of your life. I mean, people are up and down all the time. If you want to have a true victory that Christ has called you to, you need to look at what he's called you to be, that blood covenant freedom fighter. It's through the blood covenant that God is retaking the world by planting his kingdom in your heart and then attacking the works of the devil through you. Let me say that again. Because I think if you weren't asleep, you probably would have jumped up in your chair and shouted. God's plan to retake the world is to put his covenant, his blood covenant, his kingdom in you through the blood covenant and then attack the works of the devil through you. Meaning that if you and I are not attacking the works of the devil, then the world is not being retaken. You're not going to know the joy. You're really not going to uh, find out what being a Christian really can be uh, until you go on the attack with God. Listen to some of these familiar verses uh, in the New Testament. First one, Jesus said in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And we think, oh, I'm going to unlock that new car. Hallelujah. And I tell you, I, I am depending on God meeting my needs. I need to unlock a new car. So I, I thank God for that. I'm not minimizing it. But that's not why those keys were snatched out of Satan's hands. Those keys have the power to unlock a lot more than an occasional rent payment, a new car, or some peace of mind. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind, now listen to the aggressiveness, listen to the military strategy in the language he chooses. Whatever you bind on earth will be that which has been bound in heaven. And whatever you release on earth will be what has been released in heaven. Do you know what has been released in heaven? Do you know what has been bound in heaven? We often gather together and pray for things, and someone will bring up a request, say, oh, let's pray for sister so-and-so, blah, blah. And we rush right at the prayer, just pray the typical, oh, Lord, bless her, heal her, 1 Peter 2.24, with his stripes you were healed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Never bothering to really hear what is being said in heaven. Jesus ever lives to make intercession. He is speaking some things. Prophetic praying is really nothing more than looking and seeing what has heaven bound in this situation? What has heaven released? Then, that's why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. In fact, before he said it, he said, Father, I thank you, you've already heard me. 
He was simply binding and loosing what heaven had bound and loosed. He didn't have to pray one of those long intercessory prayer church prayers, you know, where you jump up and down and, and, and get all red in the face and, and carry on. You don't have to stress and pour out all your energy and emotion and then kind of keep one eye open to see if God's moving because you're not sure. You know what I'm talking about? The trouble is if you don't see yourself as a blood covenant freedom fighter, if you don't arm your mind with I am in a conflict, and hey, has the devil planted some nonsense in my house? Let me go to war in my own home. Let me look at my own life. How am I managing myself? How am I managing the things around me? Instead of complaining about the things that are happening, instead of grabbing all these prayer requests and, and shoveling like, like coal into a hopper, shoveling the prayer requests at God, why don't we wake up and be strategic and realize that God has brought us into a blood covenant and there's a purpose for it. The purpose is to take down the oppression of the devil and to release his captives. So when you pray for somebody, yes, the Lord wants them healed. Of course God wants people free. That's all very broad. It's general. It's generic. But how often do you really wait to hear what God has said? Now, when the Lord speaks to you, he may say, 1 Peter 2.24 says, With his stripes I was healed. Bless God. Now you can say, You are released by the stripes of Jesus. Rise and be made whole. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth must be that which is bound in heaven. Find out what's bound in heaven. Find out what's been released on earth. When a problem arises in your life, check with heaven and find out. What does heaven say about this problem? God has either released an answer or he's bound up the problem. Let him talk to you about it and then speak that into your situation. That's what will unlock the doors. That's what will lock up the problem. Can you say amen? Another verse um, we're probably pretty familiar with, uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we live as human beings, I love the way that translation puts it. As though, for though we live as human beings... We do not wage war according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. Wow. So... The things that we see happening on the natural plane, the natural bloodshed, the anguish, the tears, the sickness, the diseases, the cancers, the oppression, the violence, all of the things that happen in the natural. God says, you don't, I don't solve any of those things by jumping into the middle of those things and just joining them. Every one of them are solved at the root, at the source. I rose with a key. That will lock the powers of hell, lock down the grave, release the captives. You need to know what those keys of authority are and how to use them. One thing right here in what Paul said. Our weapons tear down arguments and every arrogant obstacle. 
You say, whoa, arguments. What arguments, uh, uh, what arguments are we tearing down? The argument that the devil's whispering in your ear, it's never going to happen. You're never going to have that breakthrough. You see, he's arguing with you about your children. He's arguing with you about your health. He's arguing with you about the captives. And you need to understand that the whole world is under manipulation. Satan simply is using the energy, the force, the momentum of human activity against itself. All he does is sit and talk all day long. Every one of his battles are fought with words. The devil just talks and gets people to go along with what he's saying. So we fight in the heavenlies by casting down those arguments. I was telling my wife earlier this morning, it just so grieves me that millions of Christians pour through the doors of churches every week all over the world, and they want to know why my Aunt Susie uh, prayed for eight months but didn't get healed, and why, why I've asked the Lord for this legitimate need and it's not being met. And they get preachers and teachers getting up in the pulpits and telling them, you being used by Satan, being used by the devil to perpetuate the arguments of the devil by giving reasons and saying, well, God doesn't obviously want you healed or God doesn't want to meet that need. Instead of realizing everything is a product of a conflict, those conflicts are being won or they're being lost. That's the reality of life. There are many, many millions of Christians whose prayers and things that they have sought, not only for themselves but for others, have gone unmet because people did not exert faith. People did not believe God. People did not stand. They did not fight the fight of faith. There was not the level of aggressiveness to press in and get a hold of God. And you know what? The church needs to stop with the debating, and we need to just swallow that bitter pill and admit it. The problem isn't with God. The issue is a matter of us deciding are we going to live aggressive in the things of the kingdom of God. You know, history is filled with stories of men and women who broke from the pack, stopped listening to the average church, and got up and went right at the enemy, just like David did, Goliath and started standing on the Word of God, would not take no for an answer. They saw miracles. They saw breakthroughs. The rest of us sit back like cows in the herd and just let, some, let circumstances lead us. There must be something better. Our Lord broke the ties of death, hell, and the grave, rose up with the keys, and then said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. So there's got to be something better. He can't have lied to us. But we would rather make Jesus a liar or a deceiver than admit to ourselves, I need to get myself in gear. I, I need to start waking up and realizing. And I don't want anyone to feel condemned this morning. I want you to understand, life is designed, again, I go back to, this is a battlefield. Life is designed that every day, you may own your house and you may have it comfortable. You may own a my pillow and a whatever topper and have some expensive sheets so that you're really comfortable. You are not safe in your house. 
Let me tell you again, you are not safe in your house. You think you're safe in your house, you are sadly mistaken. There's only one place you're safe, and that's in the presence of God. There's only one place, and that's in the authority of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, you're more at risk in your own house than you are driving down US 19 on Friday afternoon. If you and I don't wake up and take on the whole armor of God, and realize that we have been called to do battle, not entangling ourselves with the devil, but going at these oppressions the way they are supposed to be approached and doing what God says to do and winning the harvest, we're already asleep. We just don't know. It's like the movie The Matrix. They're really not walking the streets having relationships. They're in, they're in sacks being kept alive to become food for the enemy. So, let me say this to you, and this is going to challenge you a little bit, but um, it's right, and when it's, you know, when it's right, it's tight. Uh, the blood covenant doesn't just obligate God to show up against your enemies. Whenever we think of the blood covenant, we think, oh, I'm in blood covenant with God, so the Lord fights my battles. You know, the exchanged weapons in making the blood covenant, and we talk always about what Jesus has done for us. We talk about all that Jesus has given us. But the blood covenant's a two-way street. The blood covenant does not just obligate God to show up against your enemies or show up on your battlefields. The blood covenant obligates you to show up on God's battlefield and to show up against his enemies. Did you know that God has a battlefield? Did you know that God has enemies? Satan is not fighting against you because he personally has a grudge against you. His grudge is against God. His grudge is against Jesus Christ. That's what this conflict is, and you are called to fight God's battles, not just your own. Do you think of yourself as putting on the armor of God because you need to go out and fight your own battles? Why is it called the armor of God? If I'm just fighting my own battles, I can use my own armor. Why do I have the armor of God, as Ephesians 6 says? Because God expects me to fight his battles. Why would God use somebody as weak and as limited as myself to fight his battles? Because he knows that if I let him get a hold of me, I'll have his wisdom, the keys of the kingdom that he has risen victoriously with, and I'll have his spirit and his anointing. God expects you and I to honor the blood covenant and to show up on God's battlefield. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36 through 38, it says, you know the message he sent to the people of Israel proclaiming good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John, and with respect to Jesus of Nazareth, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good, and healing all who were, there's more to it. Thank you. 
healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So let me take that last phrase again. You know, he says, the gospel, how that God anointed, sent the anointing, put the power on Jesus Christ, anointed him who, as a result, went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now listen to me. Jesus, as the Son of God and as the Son of Man, was anointed. Now, I I think that's interesting, that here he is God. Why did God need the baptism in the Holy Spirit? God anointed, put a mantle of power and anointing upon Jesus' shoulders because he not only represented God, but he represented you and I. And so not as the Son of God only, but more importantly, as the Son of Man, he went throughout the gospel casting out the devil, breaking down all of his works, and releasing people from captivity as a man. He did all of that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But the phrase, the oppressed of the devil, he healed all who were oppressed by the devil. That's what I want you to focus in on this morning. God describes all human oppression as a work of the devil. Now, while that's sinking in, and that's right, God describes all of the oppressions as works of the devil. He refers to all the ills of society as avenues through which people are oppressed by the devil. While you're thinking of that, I want you to realize that In modern society, Satan hides his oppression behind nature and reason so that you feel foolish blaming the devil for all of the oppressive situations. Well, that wasn't the devil. That was just he drank too much. Or that's not the devil. Or she drove too fast. Or that wasn't the devil. I I got myself into that mess because I shouldn't have been hanging around with those people. You know, we, we have reason to look at to explain things. Well, the devil didn't make the make him blind. He had glaucoma and it wasn't treated in time. And you know, there's science, there's nature, all of those things. Well, for heaven's sake, do you think that when God made Adam, he had one good eye and one bad eye? Do you think that Adam was walking around and and uh, had uh, cancers growing and developing in his body? Where do you think all the death, where do you think all the sickness, where do you think all the oppression came from? When man broke his relationship with God, he fell under the dominion of Satan. And that's when all the pox, you know, started showing up, the chicken pox and all the rest of it. That's when murder started breaking out. That's when lust and infidelity and adultery started happening. All of those things. Why did their marriage break up? Well, you know, he, you know, they, after about 10, 12 years of marriage, he, he, uh, he started going out to lunch with the girls from the office, and then he gets involved in a relationship, and one thing led to the next. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. Satan parked himself in their, in their marriage during the honeymoon and just sat there and continued to lead them 
to live their lives for themselves without any thought or regard of God. And every time the devil would push a little something into that marriage and they didn't know how to deal with it. So naturally their response to these things was, well, if I can't get it fixed with a psychologist, if I can't get a doctor to write a prescription for it, then I guess we're just going to have to live with it. Are you listening to me? Do you understand where all this stuff comes from? It comes from the enemy. Yeah, sure, there may be explanations. He got into the uh, uh, counseling session with a psychologist who refused to listen, wouldn't correct the situation, and that's why he went off the deep end, and that's why their marriage fell apart. Yep, those are the natural symptoms, but that's not the issue. That's not the problem. And so the Bible says that when Jesus walked around the villages of Galilee and down into Judea, the scripture says, he right and left, he was just saying, come out, be healed. Go ahead, rise from the dead. People were coming up to him saying, my daughter's at home dying. No, she's not. Go check her out. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't praying churchy prayers. Sometimes he wasn't even praying anything. He just was exercising authority. Why? Because he knew where the problem came from. He knew his authority, and he was acting on it. Who was Jesus? What was he? All of those things, the daughter lying at home about to die, all of those things are symptoms of man being torn away from God and now being under a prisoner of war, dying in captivity. That's all that is. The little girl at home sick. It's because God and and us, we have been separated. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God and us back together. Amen. Yes. That's exactly who he was. When God and us back together showed up, he, started, he just possessed the gates of the enemy. Because he, he is the, the uh, solution to the real issue. The real issue is the enemy's operating because we're cut off from God. Jesus says, you're not cut off from God anymore. That's why we ought to be in fellowship with him 24-7. That's why we need to say, Lord, what is your will? Not, Lord, I'll go to church once a week, or not, Lord, I'll read my Bible once in a while, but walk with God. Because he wants to walk in you and talk in you, be your best friend, share with you. And listen, you better get over this nonsense about, well, they'll think I'm crazy. Well, they probably think you're crazy anyway, and that's your fault because you're just weird. <laughs> or they're weird. You better get over it and wake up and open up your eyes and look at the world around you because these houses are going to fall down one day. And all of these conditions and situations, they're going to pass. People are going to walk over your grave. They're not going to care about who you were, even know that you lived. Everything of significance is happening right now in the spirit realm. And if you don't see it the way it is, you're not going to pray right. You know what? We're saved. We have a covenant with God. And we pray most of the time carnally. We pray blind. We pray like we don't know what the heck we're, we're all about. We pray these prayers that unsaved people pray. Oh, God, please do something. Are you listening to me? 
Where is our discernment? Are our ears open? Are our eyes open? Are, have we bothered to hear what's God saying? You know, if this year you rounded the corner into 2019 and just one thing after another started to break out, Kids started rebelling. Problems started. I lost my job. And one thing after another. Man, it is September. We're nine months into this. And you have not yet pulled your head out of the ground and looked around and said, the devil's behind this. Satan kicked my door open in January with that one situation that came in and I didn't respond to it. I just dealt with it in the natural. And he's been there ever since grabbing inch and foot and a yard here and an area there. And now, now what I, I could have I stomped on him when he was a mouse. Now it's Godzilla living with got my remote sitting on my, in my easy chair running my family. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Here's what happens. These little storms collect up until they become massive and overwhelming. And then we're overwhelmed. We're just outgunned and overpowered. And we don't know what to do. I'd much rather fight a mouse than, than have to fight a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And... <clears throat> If you're hearing what I'm saying to you this morning, I need you to understand that modern society is going to explain every form of oppression known to man, going to explain it in political terms, social terms, health terms, monetary terms. And you know what? I'm not an idiot. I know those are reasonable. I know that there's, you know, that I know that science is real. I know that uh, psychology is real. I know that it's nothing more than man looking at the physical symptoms of his world, of his environment, and working from the bottom of the problem up. But he's never going to break out of that blindness that he's in and see that all of this is trickling down out of a battlefield of spiritual activity. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he took you. What? Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Ephesians says you're seated with him in the heavenly places. What do you think prayer is? Prayer is going from here, boom, in the blink of an eye, and being in the presence of God and seeing things from his perspective. He has invited you as a blood covenant child of God. He wants to show you your house, your life, your circumstances from his perspective. Glory to God. And when you do... Your prayers will be different. You'll be praying with blood covenant power and authority. Can you say amen? amen? You see, that's exactly how Jesus operated. He didn't, he didn't let the insults of the Pharisees bother him. They said all kinds of stuff about it. He just went on casting out devils. And what did he care? Healing the sick. People say, oh, you see devils behind everything. I'm not talking about chasing devils. I'm not talking about getting embroiled with, oh, let's see, Lord, show me what spirit this is. Shut that stuff up. You don't need to know what spirit. Who the heck cares? Has nothing to do with gaining the victory. You don't need to know the name of the demon and what its nephews are. All that nonsense is just people with too much imagination and time on their hands. 
But what you do need to know is Satan is behind this stuff and God's given you the keys to the kingdom to deal with him. And you need to deal with it from the authority of the covenant. Amen? Luke 10 and 19. Jesus said, Behold. By the way, what does behold mean? Thank you. See. When God says behold, it doesn't mean stop and listen. It means look at what I'm about to say. Behold. Jesus said, Behold, I have. Now, I noticed right off the bat that the word have has to do with past tense. So whatever he's about to say, he's already done. Behold, I have given you authority over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Amen. Now, how many, how many of you just heard that for the very first time in your life? Most of us have heard that many times. Jesus said, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. So notice the use of the two different words, authority and power. The devil's got certain power. Like I said, he uses the things of the world against us. But Jesus said, I've given you authority. You have arresting authority. You can shut that stuff down with what I've given you, authority. It's the last part of the verse that I think is critical for us. Jesus said, and nothing shall hurt you. I'll tell you many Many times over the years, I've looked at that and thought, there have been some things that have hurt me. So what was he talking about? And think of it. The enemy has risen up against you, and he's caused you some pain. Some of you are here this morning saying, he's hurting me right now. But Jesus said, I have given you authority. Nothing over the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. So you need to find out what is that authority how do I apply it to the power of the enemy so that things stop hurting me? The secret is in the word hurt. Nothing shall hurt you. I just felt led of the Lord to look it up as I was researching. I thought there was going to be something significant there. and I'll tell you, I hit the mother load. Because the word hurt doesn't mean at all what I thought it meant. I thought it meant pain. Nothing will destroy you. Nothing will hurt you. It is a very unique Greek word. That means to be unjust. To actively do wrong morally, socially, or physically. To be unjust. Nothing shall by any means exercise authority over the devil, over his power, use authority, and he will not be able to act unjustly against you do wrong morally, spiritually, or physically in your life. So I was meditating on it. I was thinking, what, what was the thought of Jesus that he's conveying behind that? Well, first of all, when he said nothing shall hurt you, it's not just pain that he's talking about, but he's talking about transgression. God sees the things that the devil does to you, not as pains, but as transgressions. They are acts of transgression illegally acted out against the blood covenant in your life. That's why he said you have authority. You're only dealing with the pain. You're not dealing with the transgression. Do you understand? If your prayers just involve getting me out from under the pain, 
You're not understanding that he said the devil has no right to put this on you. So if he has put it on you, it happened because somewhere there was a lack of authority being used. Amen. Now, I know that there's some people that will just, they would object profusely. Uh, but the reality is, we are not walking in the full level of authority that God has given us. What does that look like? It's Jesus. The de Jesus never got sick. You don't see him saying, you know, I w the multitude's going to have to wait. I got a doctor appointment. Never happened. Never happened. The devil was not able to put anything on him until the time when he was supposed to offer his life as the Lamb of God. And then he just put himself in Pilate's hands. Said, do with me what you will. It's been ordained from the beginning. So Jesus basically says to the disciples, I have given you authority to keep the devil from hurting you unless you have given him the right to do so by relenting and opening an opportunity for him. So if you don't live vigilant, if you don't live like a freedom fighter, if you let oppression arise without taking it to the throne of God and dealing with it, then the devil has got a certain degree of access to your life. Every time oppressive circumstances show up in your life, you should be challenging them. You should be questioning them. At the very least, you should be going before God and saying, why is this happening? And let the Holy Spirit speak to you about dealing with it. We let way too much happen. And I think the reason why is quite honestly, I'll speak for myself. It's because I'm afraid and I don't want to hear God say, well, Nick, you brought that on yourself. You left the door open. You did this. You opened it. And I'm not ready to hear that. Well, if you'd stop doing this, this will quit happening. Are you listening to me? And guess what? That's truth with a capital T. That's truth. But the Lord wants to say those things to us so that we can use our authority. You can't compromise and expect authority to operate in your life. Really quiet, unusually quiet in here. So Jesus says, I have given you authority to keep the devil from oppressing you unless you give him an opportunity to do so. The blood covenant authorizes you to be relentless against Satan's oppression because God is with you. That was the end of that verse. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost in power, went about doing good. By the way, what is doing good? Don't let the world tell you, Christian, what doing good is. The world, if you listen to the world and you start running around trying to please people and do what the world tells you to do, they're going to have you serving the devil before you know it. Don't do what people expect you to do. Let me tell you what good is. Jesus went around and did good healing all that were oppressed of the devil. He went directly at the oppression of the enemy, and God said, that's good. That's what good is. Hallelujah. And um, so the blood covenant authorizes you to be relentless against Satan's oppressions because God is with you. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. That's the blood covenant. God is with you because of the blood covenant. Let me show you um, 
a little something about the attitude you and I should have. David's talking about how he dealt with his enemies in Psalm 18. And this, this is a little bit long, so I've just grabbed a couple of phrases out of here. But he's talking about how God had anointed him, and as a result of God anointing him and God being with him, this is how he dealt with his enemies. David said, He trains my hands for battle. You give me your protective shield. Your right hand supports me. Your willingness to help me enables me to prevail. I chase my enemies and I catch them. I do not turn back until I wipe them out. I beat them to death. I grind them as fine as wind-blown dust. Now, New Testament Christian God doesn't want you going out and beating people. They may be the vehicle through which the problem comes. And by the way, if you're going to beat people up for causing problems in your life, you can start with yourself. So obviously God doesn't want you pounding on yourself. So again, I, I, I shared with you earlier, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the dealing with things in the spirit realm. But notice what David said. I pursue my enemies, I knock them down, I kill them, and then I grind them into powder so that the wind blows the powder away. Why? Because once my problems have been ground so fine that they're like dust, there's no way they can reconstitute. When David slew Goliath, he hit him with a stone and knocked him over. But the Bible said he didn't stop there. Goliath was knocked out. David didn't know whether he was dead or alive. But he climbed up on his chest, grabbed his sword, and he cut his head off to make sure he didn't come back. This is the attitude in spiritual warfare that you and I need to have. I pursued my enemies and I didn't stop until that situation in my house, that problem, that attack of the enemy had been dealt with. And I'm not going to give up my prayer, my intercession. If it takes a month, five months, or five years, I'm going to stay after it until I see the salvation of God. The blood covenant that furnished Jesus with that anointing for a complete triumph is the same blood covenant that furnishes you with that anointing. I want to close with this. The Bible is um, filled with fantastic stories. I mean one right after another, of men and women who acted on the blood covenant and who rose up to challenge oppression and possessed the gates of their enemies. That is essentially the directive of the blood covenant. Possess the gates of your enemies. And these men and women would act upon the blood covenant and they would stand up and go at the oppression. Because, you know, the blood covenant is nothing more than a stand, uh, a, a standing order from heaven to undo the oppressions of the devil. And they would resist the enemy, and as the Bible says, he would flee from them. The Bible says, James 4, 7, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That's the blood covenant. There's no situation where God's will is that the enemy has anything to do with you or is able to touch your life in any way. And the David and Goliath story was a perfect example. 
because David stood up to Goliath and said, you have defied the living God. You went up against the blood covenant. You are an oppressor, and God is going to take you down today. Can you say amen? Um, I remember many years ago, 21 years old, when the Lord had sent us to New Haven, Connecticut, and to Yale University to pioneer church. Um, at that time, Yale University and the city of New Haven was a bastion of secular thinking. The Bible talked, as I said earlier, about casting down high things that oppose the knowledge of God. And secularism ruled. If you knew all the oppression Satan has created through the past three, four hundred years, especially the past 200 years, around the world had a global impact that came out of Yale University, that came out of the, the errors of that university. And God sent, sent us at 20, 21 years old. In that city, a bastion of, of antichrist sentiment. And he said, I want to build a work here, and I want to rip the enemy's ability to operate in this community. And um, so when Kathy would go to sleep and our, our youngest was just a baby, I would walk the floor at night in the dark and just walk back and forth and talk to the demonic powers over Yale University and over the city of New Haven. And I would tell them, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you are defeated. I demand that you release your captives. God has sent me here, and this is my territory. You get off of my land. Get out of my... Well, if someone had seen me, they said, you're out of your mind. Yeah, just, you know, out of your ever-loving mind. But as the next years began to unfold, God did crack that community open. And now there's several great powerful churches that are taking over that whole area and have turned that place around. Well, it's still got all the problems it had in the natural, but there's a spiritual move of God in that territory. You see, you and I need to be aggressive in the things of the kingdom of God. And your life is the first place to begin. There's a harvest outside these doors. There are some structures of the enemy that need to be dealt with so that you and I can get into the harvest and be used of God as freedom fighters of the blood covenant. So I'd like you to close your Bible and stand with me this morning.